on this week's Inside Marketing, I'll be catching up with the legend that is Dave Trott, a creative director, copywriter, agency founder, and author. And he actually has a new book that's just out, which is Crossover Creativity. So it's going to be a good one. Uh, I don't know how long it'll be because he's a wonderful storyteller, but I'm really looking forward to it. So that's Inside Marketing this week as I meet Dave Trott. The Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions. Hello and welcome to this week's Inside Marketing. As I said in the intro, I'm delighted to be joined by, and I, I don't use this term lightly, advertising legend, Dave Trott. How's it going? Good morning. Yeah, hi Dave. How are you? Yeah, cold. Cold, cold. And we had a few technology we technology issues as well. Yeah, it's it's uh, where, where are you? Where, are you? where what part of the world are you in? London, Hempstead. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. So it's cold there. Well, it's cold here, but it's always cold in Dublin. So I, I appreciate you taking the time and we technology issues to delay in our start. So I'll go as quickly as I can. Um, we'll crack on then. So anyway, I've been doing a lot of, of prep and in, in kind of reading up on stuff. And, and well, obviously you're a good writer because it's your job. Um, but you, you write, your blog is, is brilliant. So I've been reading up on a few things. So we, we'll cover quite a lot sorry, of... Sorry, sorry, before you start there, I'm not a good writer and it's not my job. Well, what, you, you, well you, you are a good writer and that's that's my opinion. But I, I, I don't. The difference is I, I don't write. I just I write for people that read The Sun, just ordinary blue-collar people that don't want to read reams and reams of stuff, just keep it dead simple, single, simple words, and how would you explain it to a bus driver or a cab driver or your mum? So I'm not a writer with a capital W. I'm no, kidding. no, true. But there is, but there is, and I think that's probably one of the issues when we get into advertising, that kind of, um, you know, just saying it like it is or being able to avoid complication. Because I think as an industry, and, and you do mention this a lot, we we can complicate things. But one of the, the stories that I was reading um was was one of the, the blogs you wrote about your watches up on Channel Four, and it was the SAS. He was training some French soldiers, and he told them to build yeah. uh, a thirty foot wall. And you know, soldiers being soldiers in the in the SAS, they're they're trained to follow orders because that's what they have to do in combat. Um, but they started off the the project, and immediately within a second, he went over and said, "You've all failed because yeah. y- you didn't question the objectives." So, you know, when you think about advertising, if we if we follow a brief without questioning things, what we end up doing is just kind of getting straight, we could cook it down the wrong path, but we just get into it like robotically. And so talk to me about the concept of first principles thinking and and how important is it to question things at the start? Uh, and, and to be clear, because, you know, you, you mentioned before, an objective, and you always see this, sell more stuff. That's always like an objective on a brief. But explain what first principle thinking is and talk to me about the importance of setting objectives properly. Yeah, well... So lazy, lazy account. I mean, it's a big question what you just asked. Uh, lazy account men, you'll say to them, "What is the point of advertising?" And they'll, because they'll, they're lazy, they'll write there to sell more stuff. Mm. Oh, no fucking kidding! I didn't. I mean, why are you advertising in the first place? You, that's that's as use, useless to me as a as as a cat. There's no thinking at all. I know the whole point of an advertising agency is to sell more stuff. If that's all you've got to bring to the party, you can fuck off. The what are the purpose of why are we advertising? Meaning, advertising isn't responsible for the whole process of selling. Advertising, there's there's the man that makes the stuff, and then there's the man the, the person that buys the stuff. Somewhere between those two things is the part that advertising can affect. Mm-hmm. It, it can't do the whole job on its own. It can't make it stocked in the shop if you can't buy it, and it can't make a better product if it's not made. But somewhere in there, there's something advertising can do, whether that's getting it known, whether that's getting it fashionable. Now, the job of, of a brief is to tell you what the creative department can do before it gets to the creative department, mm. not lazily say sell more stuff. So first principles thinking when you say how, is go back and what's the job of the creative department. Now, when I got into advertising, and most people, most of the people you know that are good, Charlie Sarchi, David Abbott, John Webster, all the greats, when we got into it, John Hegarty, there was no such thing as planning. Creative to, uh, creatives, and uh, particularly copywriters, used to have to do their own thinking. Copywriters are misnomer. It's not much to do with writing. It's more to do with thinking. Sometimes you don't do any writing at all. Right. 
the the copywriting is from the days in 1900 when it, when an ad would have oh there there was no telly or radio or anything just press ads and then you'd have to write loads of copy. That's co- but that's not the job. It hasn't been the job since about the 1960s. The since television came along, the 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 job uh, is to think. How can we affect this? How can we change it? What what's our part in making this happen? And it might be the very first thing is to get it seen and get it heard and get it known, then get it persuasive. All of those things go back to how do we do that? Now, first principles thinking was a guy called uh, G.K. Chesterton. I think it was G.K. Chesterton. Well, they call it Chest- Chesterton's fence anyway, which is if you bought a piece of land and there's a fence down the middle of it and you think, oh, I don't want that, I'll get rid of it. You shouldn't tear it down until you know why it was there. Right. The, so that's with everything. You don't write an ad unless you know why you're writing an ad. You don't just sit there like a manual labourer on a conveyor belt waiting for a brief to come along and the brief's done all the work and tells you what to do and all you do is write a pun and that's that next job. That's that's not thinking. That's not first principles thinking. The story Chesterton tells is there's all these people in a little village and they, there's this street lamp and they want to pull it down. And an old man comes along and says, um, hang on, before you pull the lamp down, the street lamp down, let's think about why they put it up. And everybody all says, oh, shut him up. We don't listen to him. So they don't listen to Chesterton and they pull the lamp down. And now they want to discuss what they do. And some of them want the lamp because wanted the lamp down because they hate the design. Some of them because they want to sell the metal. Some of them because they think it blocks the street. And now they want to discuss it, but they can't because now it's dark. Because the lamp's gone. Yeah. If they listen to the man, why do you think they put the lamp there? Yeah? Yeah. And we don't do that. We don't ever ask the question why. We just knee-jerk into, here's some bloke from you, here's some kid from university who doesn't know anything about advertising and they have no talent, no portfolio, no skill, but they want to work in advertising because it looks glamorous. So they need a job called planning, mm-hmm. which is just thinking about it. And what they'll do is they'll look at what all the – Planning has previously been done and just learn to do things the way it's previously been done. And then they'll give that brief to a load of creatives who never learned to do the job before there was such a thing as a plan, as planning, so they've never learned to think either. Mm. So what you've got is you've got a load of production line workers, each doing their little bit of the job, and nobody ever asks why. Right, yeah. So just like the SAS, how can you – the guy in the SAS is the reason you ask why is because if your officer is killed, how are you going to complete the mission if you don't know why we're doing the mission? Mm, yeah, yeah. If we've got to take an objective and we're in a tank and the tank gets destroyed, well, how can we take the objective if we don't know what the objective yeah. is now? We haven't got a tank. If yeah. you, you, you need to know what you're doing and why and work that out. And copywriters, so-called copywriters, actually creative thinkers, don't do that anymore mm. because they've got a planner to do that. And a planner never learned how to do that because they went to university and yeah. they just learned how to write thesis. And and that and that's that's a I think that theme's gonna come up quite a bit as we as we chat through different things, because it's it's something that has come up before in the podcast and it'll probably come up in different guises. But um one like an industry again, you know the industry really well, and and maybe it's, it, it is kind of a part of that problem where we don't ask why. We, so we are guilty of kind of latching on to the latest fad. Um, so again, can you just talk to me, because there's a great story that illustrates this about bendy buses in London and how that, that was a, a lesson in, again, you know, not asking why or not thinking things through properly and opting for something yeah. that, that you think you said, well, it was fashionable. They were, they, were, they were the thing that we were seeing all around Europe, but nobody thought, there was no common sense. It was, it was, it was a bad idea. Tell me just a little bit about that story for a second. Well, it, was in, it was in the process when they decided London was a trendy city, so it needed to have its own mayor. Don't forget, two or three mayors. We, first mayor we had, I think, was Ken Livingston, and uh, mm. uh, real mayor, proper mayor. And so Ken, I like Ken, he's a nice guy. He decided, well, what we're going to do, we're going to turn London into a, not just a big, messy city, but a big industrial city. We're going to turn it into a nice city, like 
uh, Amsterdam or San Francisco or somewhere like that, a lovely city to live in. So what's the first thing those places do? Well, you get rid of these big, ugly double-decker buses and you have these nice bendy buses everywhere that everybody – and also, if it's a bendy bus, all the disabled people can get on it because it's all ground level. Yeah. I would make a bus of creative, creative people, uh, disabled people can't get upstairs. So with the best of best of will, he turned over to double deck to bendy buses. What he didn't think of, he didn't think any further. That now think of it, double decker buses are twice going to be twice the length. Sorry, bendy buses are going to mm. be twice the length of a double decker bus. And I mean, when you go around a corner, and London is what. 1,500 years old or something. It's not built like Manhattan where every yeah. road's a straight road. They're crooked little weird old roads. And I was coming down Bishop's Bridge Road one day in Paddington and there was a massive, massive traffic jam. And I looked at this because the double-decker, the bendy bus, the, the first part of it had got round the, the, the traffic lights, but the traffic lights had changed and the second part hadn't got round yet. So now you're, now you're, you're blocking up traffic from four ways. With this bendy bus, and it's not built for bendy buses. And you hadn't thought about you hadn't what, what people do when they when they latch onto the latest fad. They don't bother thinking of again. They don't go back to first principles yeah. of why is the way it is. They just think of what would we like it to do. Let's be trendy. They've got bendy buses. We want bendy yeah. buses. Yeah. And so now all those bendy buses, at the cost of millions and millions of pounds, had to be sold, got rid of. And they had to design new double-decker buses because it uses much less ground space. Yeah. And it's safer for cyclists, for pedestrians, for everybody. Yeah. And the bendy buses have all been sold off to Singapore or somewhere. And and because, again, they didn't go back to thinking, why are we doing what we're doing? Mm. And the double-decker buses are, are kind of iconic, but particularly in London as well, the red buses, they, they are with the with the black taxis, black cabs. They're, they're an iconic thing. So, And you see this in advertising a lot, this new marketing manager um, in it in kind of want to shake things up and throw out all the historical things that have gone before, come, come up with a new campaign, change everything yeah. and change it to yeah. office. So that is a good example of that where, you know, let's opt for something, do away with the iconic um, thing, which, ha- which had a utility. And, and as you say, it was, why were they used in the first place? Well, maybe they'd say, well, they might have thought, well, they didn't have bendy buses when, when, they, when they bought the projectors, but they didn't fit the city. So it's a great example of that. Um, I, I so if, you go back, if you go back and think, take that thinking of, of going back to, and it all comes back to nobody asks why. They yeah. just do it like, yeah. like knee-jerk reaction. If you go back to John Hegarty was telling me about um, Audi when they first got the Audi account. And I remember Audi in those days, nobody really bought Audi because nobody really knew where they were from. They were just European cars. Yeah. Could, have been, could have been Denmark, could have been Belgium. You didn't know. Anyway, John Hegarty said, uh, their research had showed them that, well, it's, it's not brain surgery. Everybody will pay a premium for a German car. Yeah. Porsche, VW, Mercedes, BMW. German cars have got an incredible reputation. What John said was, well, look, what you've got to do is, why don't you, we just let people know these are German cars? Then people will pay a premium for them. So they took, they, 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 John was going around a factory and he saw this old fashioned poster on the wall, said, Vorsprung Dirk Technik. And he said, that's good, it's in German. That could, that could catch on, it's weird, people won't know what it means. So they researched the ads, and they researched them, and um, it came back that people didn't like it because why should you put German language on the end of an English advert? Right. We don't, we don't, we don't want them taking over. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and the, so the researchers went back to the client and said, we're sorry, we can't do that campaign. And then the client said, well, hang on, you told me, if we made our cars German, they'd sell a lot more and we could charge a premium. Do the people in the groups get that they're German? And the planners said, yeah, they do, but they don't like the ads. And the client said, I'm not interested in whether they like the ads. I'm interested in do they get his German. Right. And they said, they, they said, yeah, they do. And the client said, okay, they don't want to do the ads. Right. And the client overrode the research, listened to John Hegarty, and went ahead and did them. And you see the difference. Now Audi is, mm-hmm. you know. And you wonder what that happened today because research um, – well, it can be done to kind of, it can validate something that you already want to happen it's, or it can be, you know, just to cover your ass. You, you just wonder, that's a brave client, right? That's a definitely you see brave what client. That client did? He went back to asking why. Yeah. Why are we doing it? Never mind what research says, why are we doing yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. 
You tell me we're doing it because we want to be German. I don't care if they like it or not. Mm, and it proved it proved to be successful. I, yeah, and there's less. There's definitely less of that now because, and, we, and I'm going to get onto this in a while because kind of the the going maverick or not following, not not researching things, and, and the wisdom of crowds is a fallacy. You know, people don't know what they want a lot of the times. But I just on Hegarty, I spoke to him. I think it was last year, the year before, and and this comes up and Rory Sutherland as well about how advertising doesn't create the same impact on culture. Now, there's a couple of arguments which I think are kind of convenient because they can be seen as excuses, which is, well, you know, people are savvy. They're not as influenced by advertising anymore. Or it's harder to reach people because mass channels like the power of TV is not what it was. There's so much um, fragmentation in media. And that is, yeah, it, it's, it could be an argument. It's a convenient argument. But I think the, the inconvenient truth for a lot of people in advertising is that a lot of advertising is just not that different anymore. And as you said there, it become, it's not a science, but there's, we'd like to think there's a science to it um, and there's a lot of research in it. But you refer to it as flat pack advertising. So, I mean, I think I know what you'd say, but do you think advertising has lost its edge now today um, and a lot of work is just too comfortable, too safe? Maybe it's because planners don't know how, they, they don't know how to think. It's learned wisdom rather than lived wisdom or I don't know, call it what you want. But do you think, there, there's advertising doesn't do what I think you call this the unthinkable anymore and that's kind of an example of I don't care what people say we know what we want to do don't care what research says we're going to do this whether people love it or hate it and, and it would be unthinkable to do that now do you think advertising does the unthinkable anymore enough of it well you know that line um, if you don't remember the past you're condemned to repeat it yeah okay so what you've got in advertising obviously is a load of 30-year-olds who don't remember the past, so they're condemned to repeat it. You're repeating the 1950s now. In mm. the 1950s, there wasn't any such thing as good or creative or intelligent advertising. There was just do as lot of it as much as you can and keep bashing people over the head with it. Yeah. And that's exactly what you're back to now. People think the more of it you do and the more you bash them over the head with it, the more it must work. So if you watch satellite TV you'll see there's a, what is like how many channels, 90 channels. It's, it's, so what you do is you, I can fill that up. If I just do one ad, I can fill that up. I can get 100, 200, 300 times I can show that ad. Now, mm. if you go back, that's what, the, that's what the 1950s used to be like. Then along came 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and people said, well, wait a minute. Instead of doing 50 bits of rubbish, why don't we do 10 bits of really good stuff? So instead of doing one ad that we show a hundred times, they had what they used to call an OTS, opportunities yeah. to see. So, and they'd figure probably after about 10 or 20 times, you're getting fed up with that ad. So if we look at the media plan and we see we've got a hundred OTS, mm. and we figure we're going to need three or four ads so people don't get bored. Mm. And so just simply, that would be your brief. Nowadays, they look at it simply mechanically and based on money. hundred spots, okay, one ad. We'll run it a hundred times. We'll get full value out of it. No, you're just ringing it out and ringing it out and ring until it's, you know, ad blockers. People just want to find ways not to watch TV, and it's mm. it's just because no one's even thinking about what is the purpose of what we're doing. Is it just bash people over the head until they can't stand it and they walk out like 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 hypnotized and buy yeah. whatever we're selling them? Is that how it works? Well, then you're back to the because people don't remember the fifties. They all think this is brand new thinking. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh crap! As it was before, we had good advertising. Yeah, yeah, we are maybe doomed to repeat, repeat history. Um, you know, as it's a human failing. Um, uh, let's chat about that a little bit because, and you said this at the start, and I think you just have a really nice way of of kind of articulating things without. And make not make things too complicated. So, and you give examples which I like because my brain likes examples. So, you talked about your conservatory. I hope it's it's all fixed up now and it's all it's it's fixed again. It was it was a, it, a project you had going on internally. And you talked about the difference between the surveyor and the builder, um, and yeah. and how. And I think again, it's kind of touched on the same theme. How the surveyor has a he's educated, he, he's he's um, learned wisdom, but, but the builder has lived wisdom. And, and the surveyor has never kind of been in the trenches. So yeah. there was an issue, that, that a specific issue that you had and the builder would kind of, well, I wouldn't do it that way, but I'm just doing what I was told. And we're kind of crossing yeah. over in a lot of teams here. But do you think marketing like that too is too much like that today, particularly when we think about creativity? Are we too quick to go to research, to use our, our um, learned wisdom and ignore 
common sense sometimes. Is, is common sense underrated, do you think, in, in advertising? Well, just, just, just take it. To, before we had planners, advertising was common sense. And mm. I was there when planning started. So when Stanley Pollitt started it, I was a junior at BMP. And I remember the whole point of planning <coughs> was uh, to be able to charge the clients more money. Right. And, and, and Stanley was – so what you got is you got all these – in the old days, it wasn't bad because John Webster would use planning. And when you use planning for creative development, it's a good thing. When you use research yourself for creative development, it's a really good thing. It becomes a problem when the client uses it. And mm -hmm. then the client begins telling you what you can and can't do. The uh, So what happens, you think of it, if you want advertising to be creative, who do you put in charge of it, a load of planners who've never ever written an ad in their lives and who come out of university and what they know is to write a thesis, and then you make that cast in stone that no one can deviate from, mm -hmm. and all you've got is you've got guys at the end of the production line. Here's a here's a here's a, a, a brief that the planners who are not creative have just written, and you must now not deviate from it. Crank out a few puns and push it out the other end. And and then you wonder why it's not creative anymore. It's not common sense. the The story you're telling about the um, uh, the, uh, the conservatory, the the that conservatory was falling apart. Wooden conservatory out the back, and I got a, a, a surveyor in to look at it, and the surveyor said, "Yeah, you're going to have to take the whole conservatory down, the roof and everything, because the wood won't support it." And I said, "What's that going to cost?" He said, "Hundred, hundred and twenty grand." I said, "Christ." So I called a builder, and the builder called a builder, and I said, "What do you think?" The builder said, "Well, um, yeah, we will. We can. We can do that. We can. We don't have to touch the roof. The roof's perfect. Uh, it's only the wood, uh, and we can replace the wood. Uh, we don't have to take the whole thing down." And the, the, the surveyor is saying, "Well, if you take the wood away, uh, the the roof will fall down." And the builder says, "No, because we'll replace the wood one panel at a time. So you've got seven panels there. We take one panel out, replace it. Take yeah. another panel." So the, the roof never has the whole weight on the whole panel. So, and the builder says, well, don't tell me. I've been doing it for 30 years. <sighs> Sorry, the surveyor said, well, don't tell me. I've been doing it for 30 years. And the builder said, well, maybe you've been doing it wrong for 30 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that. It's like it's very much for me, I feel like Roy Keane. You know you know Roy Keane when he walked out on the, uh, the island? Yes, I do. Being nice with Saipan, it was, the, it was the talk of the nation at the time. It was like... Well, I'm Roy Keane. My sympathy is Roy Keane saying, wait a minute, all the people who aren't playing football have got nice bedrooms and great and Flying first class. And all the people who are actually playing football are all stuck sharing a bedroom and sharing mm. a bath and they've got no food and that. No, fuck this. And absolutely, he's wrong. It's us about face. The people who are don't know how to do it, are put in charge of it, which is planners writing briefs, and the people who've actually got to do it are at the arse end of it just doing what they're told, which is supposedly, if they're any good, the creatives are yeah. just taking dictation from planners, who, which is like the, the Irish football team when Roy Keane taking dictation from all these toffs in blazers. No, forget it. Mm. Yeah. The, no, the, it's, the, you're the, right. The, 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 the sharp end do the work. I used to... Gordon and I, my, my art director, uh, Gordon Smith, we used to sit uh, and we'd get, we'd get this really posh 30-year-old planner come down and give us a brief, and it would be a terrible brief, and he'd be really posh, and he'd, he'd say, so that's what uh, the work, and that's what I expect to see, and he'd go off. And I'd say to Gordon, do you know, if this is the First World War and we were in the trenches, he'd be an officer, wouldn't he? And as we go over the top, we'd have to shoot him in the back. <sighs> And that's that's exactly the way it is. You, the, the Napoleon said, I always had a quote on my wall. Uh, Napoleon said, um, generals don't win wars, sergeants win wars. Because mm, mm. Gen generals never leave the planning table to come down and pick up a rifle. Generals mm. just sit there and have a great idea and then go and smoke a cigar and drink some champagne. The sergeant is the guy that makes the department, the 30 guys, get up and do it. And they'll do it because they know he can do it. He's done it and worked his way up to being sergeant. They'll trust him. Yeah. So the creative director is like the sergeant for me. Yeah. And the planners are like the generals. So when you when you think about the industry, so, so oh, yeah, I, I, we'll, I'll get into some something in a minute. But like now, like when I started, I'm 24 years, 
it was a very unprofessional industry, right? It was haphazard. Like it, it, it was more of a generalist. Everybody kind of did their own strategy. Then I kind of focus in on strategy. And I'm in a media agency, so not a creative agency, but it was kind of very, Bob Hoffman puts it really well. He, he says it's an industry without principles and, and there, there's great work written. There's great, there's great work. We, we tend to go, oh yeah, that's disregard the past masters. But what we've done now, so it was unprofessional, which I think um, there was a charm to it because it was, it was definitely a career for the nomad or for, I didn't know what I wanted you know, to do. You know, Dave, the, um, what you say about professionals is, um, there's a, the, the great, the best quote, and most people just don't get it, but the best quote of all is, is Bill Birnbach, who said, um, principles endure, formulas don't. Yeah. Now, principles will always work, and they, that, that's what we all must work on, principles. But because most people are too lazy, they want a formula. Yeah, yeah. And what all planners do is they, they don't, nowadays, I mean, I've worked with some great planners, but... Most people, most planners, they just want a formula, and they they come out of university and they want to learn the formulas, and then just and not just planners. To be fair, people in creatives and everything, they just want to learn the formulas. Read a book and learn the formula, and go to a lecture and learn the formula. Mm-hmm. And what did they say about um, um, behavioural economics? This this is um, the uh, what, what uh, a sunk cost paradox. That's the formula for that. So let's do that. Mm-hmm. And like. Mate, just use the principles of, and if you go back to the principles, what Bill Birnbach also said was our proper area of study is simple, timeless human truths. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Why do always? It's never changed. Men have always looked after their family. Men have always looked after their house. Women have always looked after the children. There, there's that the the. the, the the details might change, yeah. but the general things of what, what people are proud of, what they want, what they look after, what they, the general principles of that are changed. Now, how we get to it is a different thing. But if you just go through it with formulas, yeah, then there's no thinking and all of us end up looking identical. Yeah, and I think that's that's a big problem. Um, so, well, well, yeah, I'll go with USP. So, again, you go back when things things come in and out of fashion. So, I want to ask you about USPs because this was, again, this is a big thing when I joined the industry, this unique unique selling point and, and every, you have to find that. And they're not in fashion at the moment and I get it because maybe in a, in a mass manufacturing era, it's rare to have anything that is genuinely unique about a product. Um, Byron Sharp talks about differentiation and distinctive. And he said, differentiation at a product level can only happen like, well, at a product level on the factory floor to be truly different. It's a design thing. What marketing can do and advertising can do is make it distinctive. And that's the role of marketing. So, um, you know, it's different, that that kind of nuance between distinction distinction and 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 different or differentiated what do you make of USPs? Do you I think? Don't, I don't think. I don't think it is. I don't think it is. Everybody overcomplicates it. Of course they do. That's their job, and that's what they get paid for to overcomplicate things. <laughs> so why did you marry? Why did you marry? You, have you got? Are you married? I am. Yeah. Why did you marry your wife? Why did you pick her? Why did I pick her? Because I picked loads of wrong ones that led me to that point, and then I got. Oh, I found so, the one that, that, I, that was right. right. So was there something about her that made her different? Yeah, uh, she was just right. very different right. to me. That's yeah. It. What made it no different? Now, why did you pick the car you've got? Was there something about it that made it different to all other cars? Um, but not at the moment. No, the one is the one I have the moment. The the the, the brand, yeah, but the car is just it's practical. Okay, I've got so kids. the brand was different. So, what about the shirt or the clothes you've got on that you were choose chose to put on this morning? Was there something that made them different to every other? shirt and trousers in your wardrobe or not I mean I, I probably didn't think about it that much but subconsciously no you didn't maybe, think about yeah. it that much and we don't think about it that much but you 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 didn't walk in with your hand over your eyes and just grab something off the rack did you you no. picked something no. okay as soon as you pick something you pick something that's different whether that's your wife whether it's your car whether it's your shirt whether it's what you're going to have for lunch whether it's uh, what route you're going to take to pick your kids up in a minute the you're going to, you're all, your mind works on, there's a plethora of choices out there. I can't have them all. Which one shall I choose? Mm. And you choose based on what's different. Now, how difficult is that? We all do it a thousand times a day. And now let's build that into a marketing theory so that we can charge people a lot of money for it. But basically, it's what's called gestalt. And gestalt is what the human mind works on. What You look at it and what's different. And they'll be, you'll do that. 
over a, the beer you're going to drink, over over just anything. You look at everything, the book you're going to pick. What what's different now? You you may not pick it because it's different, but your mind works on what's right. different. What's different stands out. Yeah. If we're doing advertising, and we each see we're exposed to a thousand advertising messages a day. As soon as you go out your front door, even if you don't go out your front door, just on your laptop, mm. you're exposed to a, between everything you see, a thousand advertising messages a day. You can't remember all of those, and you wouldn't if you could. So what's your one chance of being remembered? It's to be different, right? Yeah. It's not fucking brain surgery, is it? No, it's not. No, it definitely is not. When you're putting a football team together, how do you pick the players? You pick the players by... I want I want the best player for this position. So I look at all the players and I pick this one out of all the others. You can call it USP, you can call it differential, or you can call it what you like, but it's just simple, timeless human truths of how does the mind work? So if I'm doing an ad and I want people to look at my ad, it's got to be different to what's around it. Yeah. And if I want people to remember my ad, it's got to be different to what's around it. Those have got to be the main, the main part of before you do anything else, is it different? Because mm. if it isn't, it's just part of the wallpaper. Absolutely, and I think too much of it is is the same. Now, there's lots of there's lots of people involved in that, and you, and you, you talked earlier on about the client um, and John Hegarty and and ignoring research. So, given that there's not a lot of different, call it great, call it different, call it what you want, but but those kind of advertising that truly stand out I think you know you can you can it's rare to see something that people talk about now um, and I don't think it's because we're more savvy so how much of the blame do you lay with the agency versus the client so is it is it like agency not not doing it right in the first place or is, I've seen pitches where they present brilliant work and then it goes out in the world it's it's kind of toned down here there's a bit taken off there and it looks completely different the idea is somehow lost and, and it's become kind of vanilla so is it bad agency or is it bad client or is it the fact that clients are now kind of more junior the people who are signing off and creative work are, are just a bit more junior it's not as important anymore for them and that and that or or is it kind of a little bit of everybody's fault because ultimately if the client doesn't pay for it and back it you can't make it so where does the blame lay mostly for the the, the lack of brilliant or kind of culturally impactful campaigns at the moment well it's all of those things it's obviously it, it's just which is the priority. The um, the the it's a it's a shift in. Um, I notice it's a shift. It's a shift in priority. In as much as all that matters to anybody anymore is money. Mm-hmm. Now, it never used to be that. The, the final point of money uh, is fun and enjoyment, and an exciting life and. Uh, that used to be the fun. That used to be the point point of advertising. Yeah, the, the it's the same if you look at football. The final point is money. The final point of everything now is is money. So, if the final point of an agency is to be successful, and how you measure success isn't by the quality of what you do anymore. How you measure success is by how big you are, how much money you're making, how many accounts you're winning. Mm. So, ah, how you win accounts is you keep the client happy. You don't mm. win account. You do great work. And the client doesn't want it, you lose the account. Yeah. So what you do is you 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 do work that the client wants, and then you keep the account, and then you grow, and then you're successful. And all, all you do is everybody you want the envy of your peers, and it used to be that you got the envy of your peers by saying, "Hey, that's so and so. He did that great ad. You remember that? What a knockout ad! And everybody yeah. was talking about it. And now it's the envy of your peers. But he's he's got a massive agency. They're, right. they're growing faster than anybody else. Yeah. And and when it's all just money, then you 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 just do whatever it takes to, to get right. the money. And yeah. So if you when Collins was the best agency of the last century, CDP, yeah, mm. and they used to resign accounts. If Frank Lowe was telling me um, uh, that one day he went in to see uh, John Pierce, who's the P in CDP, and he said, look, at the Ford account, I don't know what to do. We've, I've tried five accounts. And five, I've been back to them five times with uh, campaigns. And they're not buying anything. And it's really, really difficult. Uh, so John Pierce said, well, I think you better go back and resign the account then. 
That's frauds. That's yeah. frauds, right? Yeah, that will not happen now. Because how you build the best agency in the century is you don't just take frauds because they're a load of money. We're building agencies doing better work than anybody else. And if Ford's isn't doing it, Ford shouldn't be here. Yeah. Yeah. Sarches, Sarches, who was a massive agency doing a lot of good work, their motto always was uh, <clears throat> there's two there's two criteria for any account of this agency. Either we're doing good work or we're making a lot of money. If we're not doing either of those things, we don't want the account. Right, yeah, yeah. Now, even that is great because you stop wasting your time. If you can make a lot of money on an account and just keep that work quiet yeah. while you pay to do some good work on uh, on an account like it might be a charity account. Right, gotcha, yeah. And as long as you're doing good work on it, you'll do that account for free or for, or for no money. Mm, mm, yeah. If you're, not money, if you're not making money on it, you don't want that account. Yeah. Why not either of those? And as long as you're strong and you've got the agency's knows what it's doing and why the bad work should pay for the good work mm. yeah. you can do that you can make that work that was that Sarchi's way of doing it and cdp's way of doing it and but at the moment it isn't we want any account anyway and uh the only way to keep it and so we keep looking successful and making money is to keep doing what the client wants and and that le- so yeah because this leads me on nicely to something else i was going to talk to you about because I'm, I'll go to a meeting, I think I'm going to a meeting today and the creative agency is going to present and they're going to present about maybe two, possibly three different routes on a, on a creative direction. It's not a pitch, it's fine, but like yeah. they're going to show two or three different routes and then they're going to kind of say, so what do you think about these? And, they, and they'll ask everybody in the room, um, you know, everyone will have their say and the client, everybody in the client will have their say and it'll be kind of, you know, well, we like the bit of that. What actually happens is, well, we like, we like a little bit of that one, we like that bit of that one and then we yeah. like that bit of that one. Now, you're not a yeah. fan of presenting creative work to a client given them those options. You think it should be presented sequentially as opposed to kind of simultaneously you've got different routes and talk to me about that. Was that, a, was that something you, that you okay. live by? Okay, let me tell you. When I was a junior at BMP, um, I'd, uh, uh, we were pitching on um, fire prevention accounts, and John Webster had done a campaign uh, uh, that uh, they wanted to um, take down to the pitch. And then I did a campaign, and John Webster said, uh, I really like your campaign. I like your campaign better than mine, so let's take your campaign. And uh, he said that, and the account man said, no, we've researched uh, your campaign, John. We want to take your campaign. And John said, yeah, but Dave's is better. We ought to take Dave's. And um, they, and then Stanley Pollitt said, um, no, we think John's is better. We're taking John's. And John said, well, all right, why don't you take both and show the client? And Stanley Pollitt, and this isn't a planner, remember, when mm. good planners, this is good planners. Stanley Pollitt said, no, that's an amateur thing to do, to take two campaigns to the client. That's what a bad agency does, take along a bag full of campaigns and yeah. let the client choose no we'll take one campaign and we'll we'll show that and we'll sell that to the client as our best and they argued and argued and argued and all not and in the event stanley pollock gave in and they took john's campaign and my campaign it was the first time they'd ever taken more than one campaign because stanley stanley never did it again and he wouldn't do it again uh and that's a planner yeah stanley pollock the guy who invented planning saying he wouldn't take more than one campaign. It was unprofessional, and it was making the client be the creative director. Right. And he said, it's then it's like pick and mix. It's like self-service. Why do you need us? If the, all, we, all you need is for us just to crank out a load of stuff, show it to the client, and let him pick what he wants. Yeah. And it's amateurish, and we don't do that. You, you had people with strong visions of what their agency was going to be and a pride in what they were doing. What you don't have now is a pride in anything but making money. Mm. Yeah. Which is why you'll go down. The easiest thing is to have five campaigns and show the client the five, and we'll make a recommendation, but we'll let the client choose. Yeah. Because you want the money. Yeah. If you only go along with one, the client's going to say, well, where's the other four? Then you're going to, oh, blimey, we might lose the client. We better quick crank out two or three more campaigns just in case. Well, you know, you, you become a supermarket. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it and it's, it, it is, I don't know who said before, like it's probably – advertising is one of the only kind of creative industries where that happens, where you can win with lots of different things. You don't get artists doing well, it. You know, that, you know that Steve Jobs story when Steve Jobs, um, when he was, uh, he'd, he'd left um, Apple the first time. Yeah. 
started his new company called Next, and he wanted a logo. And he read the best designer uh, is uh, over there. Uh, and he had got, I forget the guy's name now, Bob Gill or Bob Gage or something like that. The best designer anyway, top designer in America, the guy who'd done IBM and everything. He got him down and uh, he briefed him on everything he wanted. And the guy did a very expensive designer. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Steve Jobs said, okay, so uh, you'll come back to me with some recommendations in a month. And the guy said, no, sorry, Steve, you haven't understood how it works. I don't come back to you with recommendations. I come back to you with a solution. That's what you pay me for. Right. I'll see lots of recommendations. I'll see six or seven, but you'll only see one. Right. You pay me to do it. I give you the answer. And whether you use it or not is up to you. But you pay me to do it, and I'll give you the answer. Right. Uh, and, and Steve Jobs had never had anybody talk to him like that before. Oh, and he used the guy, and the guy did next. Right. Uh, and, but the guy's attitude was, I'm, I'm like a doctor. You don't come to me, and I'll give you five options of what's wrong with you, and you pick <laughs> the one you want. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what's wrong with you, and if you don't like it, you go to another doctor. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it, you you gotta you have to be not money driven, and you you have to be successful, and you have to be confident to to do that. But and I think you're right. I think it's just a lot of whoa, you know, it's maybe a lack of confidence in in standing before one idea, or or you know, you know, just saying, well, we'll save time if we go in with two or three. That's what I've always liked about Roy Keane. You know, Roy Keane. Is is uh, uh, he knows what he's doing and he knows why he's doing it and yeah. all of the other nonsense get out of the way. Yeah. It's like um, uh, Peter Crouch said when he was playing at Liverpool and he was on an absolute fortune and he he pulled up at the traffic lights in his Porsche uh, and there's Roy Keane in his car sitting at the traffic lights and he looks across at Roy Keane and gestures at his Porsche and smiles at Roy Keane and that and laughs and Roy Keane just looks at him and shakes his head and drives <laughs> off. Yeah, I'm with Roy, I'm with Roy Keane. Yeah, you know, no, I, what you're doing, mate. You think you're doing this for the money? Yeah, no, yeah, I agree. And but you're right; it's across everything now at the moment. So, I got to talk to you about your your background community because again, when I when I spoke to John John Hegarty, he he was kind of talking about agencies, and you don't want to look back with like rose tinted glasses and how things were, and things are always better. But th- but genuinely, there was a a clash of cultures. The creative classes, agencies, you know, they were genuinely a mix of of different people. And then, as I said, you know, probably because it became an undergraduate and a postgraduate course, it became, you know, people didn't get into it. It became less um, attractive or harder to get into for the Maverick. And you don't see those kind of um, creative or cultural classes and, and classes to the culture system. And you don't really see that needs anymore. Everyone kind of looks the same. We've hired the same talent from the same kind of universities and whatever so tell me about your background how did you get into advertising and did you actually enjoy that as a career or you know maybe after being in it for a while did you get pissed off with it or did you kind of did you lose your love of advertising ever so how'd you get into it and and did you still feel welcome as a maverick i think as maybe as as you were in it a long time how'd you start off what's your background uh okay so um well, I was I was going to be a policeman. That was because my dad was a policeman, my uncle was a policeman, but I got bad eyesight, so I couldn't be a policeman. So uh, then the next thing was to um, Fords was the my council estate was all Fords. Everybody went to work at Fords. Nobody ever went to university from um, from any of my council estate. That was just middle class people. Mm. Did that. Uh, so uh, I was going to be an apprentice at Fords, apprentice toolmaker, but I didn't get into Fords either. So um, I eventually got, eventually got uh, uh, this creative apprent- this apprenticeship to be a toolmaker in a factory. And after about a year of it, I said, Dad, I can't stand this. I'm, I'm going to go mad. It's uh, in a factory every day of my life for the next 50, 60 years. I'm, I'm, I know other people do it, but I can't do it. I want to go back to school and try and get some A levels, so I can so I can be an architect or something. And Dad, give him his credit, he said I could. Hardly anybody from his family or from our estate went and did A levels. Dad said I could, so I went to this local school, did some A levels, and the when I was there, one of, one of the only things I could do was art, and I, I like A level art so much. I thought, okay, this was something I'm going to do. I'm going to go to. I'm going to try and get into art school. And to do art school, you had to go, you had to do a foundation before. So, so I went to East Ham Tech. East Ham's in East London. Mm-hmm. East Ham Tech to do um, a foundation course. 
And uh, I wasn't any good at it. I loved it, but I wasn't good at it. But while I was there, uh, uh, I had lots and lots of ideas, but I've got no skill. So um, I, tried, I applied to seven art schools, and uh, they all turned me down because I'm no good. And um, my sister, who was in New York, said, uh, uh, they're, they're mad, Dave. They, they just don't know. Let me, let me help you get into a New York art school. So she did. She helped me get a long story short. She helped me get a scholarship to go to art school in New York. I right. couldn't have gone. Obviously, I couldn't have gone. And that was a kind of New York was a massive eye opener for me because England's a can't do culture. Well, Britain is a can't do culture. Whatever you want to do, you can't do it. Yeah. Because it hasn't been done before. There's no reason to do it. And nobody's, it's a bureaucracy. It's all white collar bureaucrats. Yeah. But New York is a can do culture. You get there and you, you want to do it. They say, hey, that's a great idea. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. I've been there before like that. And I fucking loved it. Much as the art school was New York itself. It was a buzz where if you, if what you're doing, in England, if what you're doing is new and unusual and different, it's dead. In yeah. New York, unless what you're doing is new and unusual and different, it's dead. Right, yeah. And yeah. everything I've been getting in trouble for back in England is what they want here. They want me to do things that are different and unusual. They're interested in ideas here, not just not just skill, but ideas. Yeah. And I went through art school there, and I worked my socks off, and you really had to work in New York to stay there. But I loved it because it was everything I've been getting in trouble for here. Right. And I was going to I was going to uh, do um, uh, uh, pop art was was very big at the time, so I thought I'm going to do graphic design, and then I discovered advertising. And Bill Birnbach had just started, along with the counterculture. Yeah, you've got everybody from from art school would suddenly go into advertising, whereas previously they wouldn't touch it with a barge pole. Yeah, but suddenly with the counterculture, you had real advertising of real people, and and people like David Ogilvy were still doing it kind of waspy and white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Yeah, you know, patronising, but Birnbach was doing it. Whatever colour, whatever race, whatever sex you are, whatever you look like, whether you're ugly, you're real people. Yeah. And it was real fun and it was really – and so my generation went from art school into advertising. And then I absolutely loved it. But because I wasn't any good – I wasn't skilled, I had to switch from being a, a – what I learned was a copywriter isn't about writing because yeah. I can't write anyway. It's about thinking. And I can think. Yeah. I can't write, but I can think. So I switched from being an art director to being a writer. But you didn't really have to be able to write. You just had to be able to think. Right. But the problem is, in New York, it's really typical because ethnically I've got nothing in common with them. I've mm. got the language, but that's it. They don't, I don't know who Captain Kangaroo or Buffalo Bob or Howdy Doody are. They don't know who Bobby Moore is or the 66 World Cup squad or, you know, any of the things that Coronation Street or any of the things I know. Yeah. So... I can't ethnically plug into anything. So I came back to London and suddenly it was like swimming swimming with the with the stream instead of swimming upstream. Suddenly, not only did I have this massive advantage of what I'd learned in New York, but also now I thought exactly like everybody around me, working right. class around me. And just doing beer ads, I could do beer ads like everybody because that's my language, that's where I live. Mm. And it was it like so that for me was like coming home and I re- and and, and the great thing that I loved about advertising, when I was doing fine art, I, I thought, well, all I'm doing here is is it's going to hang in a gallery at best where, what, 100 people see it, and and unless they are part of the cabal of art critics, mm-hmm. you know, anyway, I thought, but, but if you're in advertising, 50 million people see it. Yeah. And if you can get it off the screen into those people so they're singing it or talking about it, or pinning it up on their walls, or it's getting to be part of life, that's a buzz. Yeah. So they're using your headline on the front page of The Sun, or yeah. some comedians on TV are using your strap line, or someone sing- the kids on the bus are singing your song. That's a buzz. It's- forget the art galleries. Forget yeah. old art. This is live art. This, yeah. is, this, is, this is everything all in one. This is fun. Yeah. And like I say, you, you, you can't believe they're paying you to do this. The... You, you've got this job where you have all these great ideas that you previously 
you couldn't do it. You just didn't have the money to do it. Now they've got the money to do it. People will pay for it. And you go out and you you record with musicians. You shoot with great directors, Ridley Scott, Al Parker, guys like that. Uh, you uh, you took photographers, David Bailey. Mm. Uh, you 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 write you 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 do all of this amazing films, showbiz stuff, and people in this. And every day you're doing different stuff, and and you've got to go and learn. Uh, Whatever you're working on, it might be beer, it might be cars, it might be chocolate bars. You've got to go to the factory and talk to the people and learn everything about it inside out until you know more than the client so you can begin to find out. what. And you've got to learn about the competition too. And now you've got to use your loaf, what you learned in East London and Brooklyn, you've got to use your loaf to outthink the competition. Mm. And maybe that will be in the media. Maybe that will be uh, in how you write the ad. Maybe that will be in something about reconfiguring the product. But mm. Because you've been to New York, you now know there's no limits to your creativity. Whereas in London, it was shut up and do what you're told. Yeah. In New York, this is no, I can outthink you. And yeah, now yeah. everything growing up in East London and everything I've learned is it's Del Boy on speed. Right. Yeah. You know, but yeah. but but because creativity is actually just another word for street smarts. Yeah. Entrepreneurialism. It's just another word for street smarts. Yeah. And, uh. It. Uh, so all of that is kind of how I got into advertising, and, and what the, all the guys that in New York in those days were great weren't from university. They were the David Ogilvy guys at university. Yeah, guys at the great agencies were guys from Brooklyn, and they were Italian or Jewish. Right. Yeah. <clears> yeah. And they they, they 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 might have gone to art school, but they but they or they got their start in the post room. Yeah. You know. And but they're entrepreneur. What you'd now call entrepreneurial, but in our, our day you'd call it street, street smart. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm not going to keep you too much longer. But like th- there is that street smart is you know I think you get and we like we take in people. I'm I'm astonished sometimes at, at, at the lack of kind of I don't call it cop on call it street smart just whatever you want to call it that that is lacking in in in, in people that, that are coming through the system now, but. Something that comes up quite a lot, it comes up a lot in your blog and it's come up on, on this podcast a few times, is is um the the idea that marketing is 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 too far separated from reality. And and it it's, it kind of carries on for some of the things we talked well, about. I, I, I just, just just separate marketing and advertising. Advertising. So I can talk about advertising, marketing. Yeah, well, a, so a, well, advertising. Yeah, I mean everything. How how it's how it's separated completely from reality. Um, you know, in terms of so disconnected to reality. So what are you, and there's a couple of ones you mentioned, like Uber's auto transport or WPP's making space initiatives. And you wrote a piece before about, and I think you quoted Bill Shankly. I'm a Man United man, but you quoted Bill Shankly, um, and he talked about what pressure really is. So do you think do you think advertising is out of touch with reality today? Oh, mate. The, I mean, what, what happened when go, go, goes wrong when you start bringing in everybody from university? If in the old days, I was talking to uh, some of the guys about it. You look at guys like Charlie Sarchi, Frank yeah. Lowe, people me. They came from the post room. They didn't go to university, and and you get in at the post room and you work your way up from there. And uh, you look at some of them, some of them, some of the media great guys. The um, um, I don't know how well you know. I mean, you talk about creativity amongst media guys. Uh, guys like Mike Yershin, real, I mean, creativity that you, you guys in the creative department sit down and look at and, and you, you sit in awe of media creativity is, is uh, I've won DNAD awards where the real creativity came from the media department, you know. Right, yeah. And guys like Mike Yershin, they all, they all start in the post room yeah. and work their way up because they're thinking all the time, what can I do here that I'm not allowed to do? What can I do? And when you get guys from university in, they're thinking, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. And the guys you want are the ones that come in thinking, what can, what can, what, can, what am I not supposed to do? How can I get out of the post room and get into a job as, yeah. a, as an account man? And how can I get out from being an account man, getting to be a chief exec? And how can I get from being a chief exec to own my own agency? Mm. And how can I get to own the biggest account that there is in the country? And you guys like that, operators, who are always thinking, one step up and one step up. And that's what, it doesn't matter what department you're in, those are the mm. guys you want. Mm. You can, you know, just because you're cool creative doesn't mean you're creative. But most of those guys are thick as a brick anyway, but they're, they're in every department they are. You, you you want the operators and it doesn't matter yeah. what you are. That's why I always found, you'll find it, in my opinion, creatives get on with media blokes better than they do with account mental planners because they're all kind of operators. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah? true. And, true. And, and, and it's not about um, what you learned at university, how to write a thesis. It's how can I, how can I get one over on the competition? Mm. Yeah, true. Um, right, I'm going to, I got, well, three short questions. Well, hopefully short questions for you won't keep you too much longer. We've done a lot of kind of maybe industry bashing or kind of talking about stuff that we don't like. Is there any work that you've seen recently um, that you think, well, let's say last even five years, any campaigns that you thought, that's just kind of stands out, it's really good, uh, it's great or, well, very good even. Is there anything you liked? Yeah, in the last 10 years, I've seen one, and it was it was last week. Right. And it's for McDonald's. Okay. I don't know if you got it over there. It's um, uh, Edgar Wright. You know the guy who directed Baby Driver? Yeah. They, they got him in the, to direct the McDonald's ad, and um, I think the thinking is brilliant, the music's brilliant, the directing's brilliant. I wouldn't change a frame of it, and every time it comes on TV – Away and instead of turning away from it, like I do with absolutely every other boring ad, this one you want to watch again and again and again. And again, I'll go to YouTube just to watch it. Right. It's so it's so well made. It's the one with the eyebrows. Do you know it? I don't know. I must. I'll go maybe look at it. Maybe you don't have it over there. It's we uh, maybe we don't. I go have a look at it, but it's it's so it's it's very recent. Well, I'll go have a look at it. In, if you go to YouTube and put in McDonald's Edgar Wright, okay, uh, I'll do that and, and look at the long version. Uh, I will do that. I wasn't. I. I was. I was not expecting McDonald's. A very recent McDonald's campaign to be your answer there. To be honest, so that's good. I'm going to check that out and I'll put a link on in the in the podcast. No, you, at the you, end. You, but what's great is the whole marketing thinking, the strategic part. I, I separate marketing and advertising because marketing is strategy and advertising is tactics. Yeah. Strategy is one thing, you know, and they're strategically they've got it right, which is. McDonald's owns the hamburger market and they own the first food market and all they've got to do is make you think of McDonald's. So they've got their logo worked out in the eyebrows and that's all there is is the logo again and again and again. I, and they've got- I saw, I, I, there you go. I actually saw it but the sound was off and I kind of, I didn't know and I didn't see what oh, it was for at the end. It's set in an office. It was set in an office. Is it an office one that it's set in and it's people? Yeah, he's yeah. pitched it perfectly with the sound I, and what he's done, there isn't a word in it said except uh, not even written or said, except yeah. the eyebrows all the way through it to the music. And then right at the end, the M goes yeah. up and down like a pair of eyebrows. And there's so much fun. And it's so much. Uh, and you know that's going to catch on around offices. Yeah, yeah. Like McDonald's. And given that they own the market, now, it might not work. It wouldn't work probably if they were a smaller brand. Yeah. But what works great that's the sort of thing the huge brands should be doing. Yeah. And they can do it because they're McDonald's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny because I, I turned off before it was, but I, it did catch my attention. I was going, what's going on there? I had no idea, but I know the one. I've got to look at it now with, with the sound on the music. music. I will, yeah. You see how well eyebrows link to the track. I will, yeah. Yeah, I'll do that. Now, thinking of, you've had some amazing campaigns and, and you talked about, you know, getting into culture whether it's people singing singing them reciting the lines you've so many you've so many campaigns that you worked on that that really captured the imagination of the public and and they they became talked about or parodied or people used them and you know i remember the toshiba one when i was a kid that was i knew that one off by heart and it just was something that people just talked about for for commercial clients now i'm talking about not not charity so from a commercial point of view what can what is the work that you did that you think I'm, I'm most proud of that for whatever reason that might be success and just the, the best work you've done if you can uh, probably an unfair question but what was your you could stick one up and say that I want to be remembered for that one because that was the one I, I loved the most well I think a uh, couple of points it wouldn't just be one it'd be there'd be a few but uh, over two agencies and some I've written and some I've been creative director on so you you say obviously Toshiba would be one at yeah. GG. Uh, when I was at BMP, uh, Gertrude, uh, the Courage Best, uh, uh, if you know it, with, uh, I did with John Webster. Then at GGT, also Ariston. Uh, oh, yeah, Ariston, yeah, I remember that, one. yeah. Uh, the, the, ones, the ones that have gotten into the language are always going to be my favourites, where, yeah. where you'd hear other people using it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and you had a lot of them. So, uh, uh, it was great because we got into the language. And, in, and when you can do that... Uh, then I'm, you know, mucking about in some dozy little uh, award scheme down in the south of France. That's that's just half a dozen, you know, or, or, or what is it, a 
thousand people from around the world and half of them don't speak English anyway. So it's really got no relevance to what we do. What we do is in the street <clears throat> when or when you hear a news when you hear a newspaper picks it up or a TV picks it up or the people in the street if you if you hear someone in the street saying it yeah it's, I tell you what the other day I saw someone um, they'd written a letter and they they'd written um, they, they they were there was a new they were they were relaunching this club and they'd say you can bet this club is going to be a lip smacking thirst quenching ace tasting motivating cool <laughs> fizzing fantastic I wrote that thirty odd years yeah. ago yeah Pepsi ad. And I'm thinking, I love the fact that he's it's still in the language. It's still, years later, yeah, it's still know? it's still popular and still yeah. And and you're you're because you're right. It's great to have that. I mean, you can you can be hung in a gallery, which is great for certain for certain people, and you know make your mark. But to be to have something that is picked up, you know, did a job for the brand, but it, it captured the imagination of people, and it's kind of like I don't know pop creative if you will as you were talking about and it just infiltrated popular culture that's that's a that's a pretty cool thing to do which I think but there's just not enough of it and it's not, maybe it's I don't know maybe it's there's no there's no logic to some of the ads or I look at some of the ads that capture the imagination and I go that shouldn't work I mean even even the gorilla campaign from years ago I mean Phil Rumble I hear he, he he flew solo on that. Um, it, it, everyone else, they researched it. It bombed in research. They said it's nothing to do with you know classic. It's nothing to do with the chocolate bar. It's complete. I don't know what it's about. And he said, no, I like it. It's it's fun and it's just going to capture. And it did. It worked really well. Again, if it didn't work, he probably would have been fired. But there's there's no. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to see how as somebody out of as somebody who's who's even studied advertising and and learned knowledge would come up with that. It's just. But to no be fair, I, mean, I know you're right, but but to be fair, if you look at it, isn't just advertising. You look at everything nowadays. It's the general mood of everything. It isn't daring. It isn't exciting. It isn't fun. And I said, my 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 son was singing some song or playing some song the other day. Uh, I think it might be 10cc. He was playing track by 10cc, and I said, "Were you listening to that crap?" Mm. And he said, what you forget, Dad, is that the stuff that was second rate in your day is still now better than anything that's around nowadays. Yeah, yeah. He said, you look, at, look at it your day. You had the Beatles, the Stones, the Who, the, and you take it for granted. And yeah. we do. We take the advertising for granted, the films for granted, the, the, the football, the, mu- the music, we, everything for granted. And we forget that was a golden period. You look at it now, it's all gone back to being – and the reason it was a golden period is because we were breaking free from – Yeah. Crappy, boring, old, bash it over the head, bore you to death, and follow the rules. Yeah, everybody's we. Everybody nowadays has forgotten that, and they come out of the golden period, which mm. is all about escaping repression. So they now, now they've gone back into crappy old bash it over the head and follow the rules yeah. because they don't remember. It'll come back. It'll come back, hopefully. Everything is a reaction to the previous kind of generation. Mm -hmm. Music, art, everything. All you've got to look at is why it was what it was. Mm -hmm. And if you live long enough, you get to see that happening. But if if you're young, you've never seen it happen, so you think you're the first one to do it. Yeah, true, true. Um, Last question. Have you, you say you're not a writer, have you a book coming out very, very soon? Am I right? Honestly, uh, yeah. Let me... Just happen to have that there. Yes, crossover creativity. Tell me a little bit about that. What what's it? What is it? Well, I have an idea what it's about, but just give me, give anyone who's interested, just tell us what it's about and is it is it out now? Because it was available. I think it was available for pre order when I was looking, but it wasn't. I didn't see it for available now, but it's out, is it? Yeah. Well, what it's about is just uh, uh, where I you know where I. Uh, I have an attitude of everything I read or listen to or anything is has to fulfil two one of two criteria. Either I've got to be entertained by it or I've got to learn from it. Right. If it hasn't got either of those two, I don't want it. Yeah. So a lot of what I've, I've always been good at is teaching people. And it was um, how we built GGT is uh, I couldn't get middleweight and heavyweight creatives to work for me because – but I was great at teaching youngsters. Mm. Uh so <clears throat> what I decided then, I'd set up a career. If I set up an agency just full of youngsters, that would work like, well, and that's what happened. With GGT was a great agency because all I did was getting loads and loads and loads of youngsters and teach them. Yeah. It's a bit like the youth policy at Man United when they got those five guys yeah. uh, off the youth team. Put Class them in the of 92, team, yeah. And they won everything. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, so that's just how I was. If, if I get these kids... 
and and train them, they'll be as good as the heavyweights. And which is exactly true, which is exactly what happened to Man United. Yeah. And so what? So then I think, well, what do you need to be good? Well, look at where ideas come from. Where ideas come from, they don't just come out of the blue. They come they come out of limbo. They come out of mixing things yeah. that you wouldn't expect to be mixed. Mm. So if you just keep looking at the same old stuff, you're not going to be able to mix unexpected things. So the whole point is the more unexpected things you collect, the more unexpected mixes you're going to have, which is creativity. Yeah. So. The the book is all about how unexpected you wouldn't you know some some of the mixes are so unexpected you wouldn't believe them and you would never think to mix those things because you you've had it trained out of you yeah. when you were a little kid you might have done it but as you've grown up you've had it trained out of you and you've had it trained to just be sensible and just uh, seek everybody's approval by looking sensible which is what clients do so which is why all advertising looks like all other advertising. But if you'd learn, just learn to look in different places and put two totally different things together, two yeah. or maybe three different things that you just never, ever see going together. Uh, ah, again, you did one plus one equals three. Mm. One, you know, one on its own is just one. But, but yeah. you put together two things that you didn't think would ever go together. You've got something nobody would have, has ever seen before. Right, very. so that's creativity. So that's largely what the book's about. So crossover creativity, great. Well, I'm go- I will read it, and again, I'll, I'll put a link to it in the podcast. So, well, that's been it. Apologies again for delaying you on our slow start. The technology, which is supposed to be great, and it usually is great. I knew of all days it was uh-huh. going to go wrong. I said it's going to go wrong today, and I was in like I did a dummy phone call with somebody 15 minutes early just to make sure it didn't mess up. And lo and behold, I, mean, I couldn't hear each other. But, but I really appreciate you, a taking the time and be, um, you know, just kind of waiting and bearing with me while while we had a slow start and see thrown in the, the Roy Keane reference because I'm a Man United fan. I, I'm I'm less embarrassed to be a Man United supporter now again these days because we're, we've been rubbish well, for a know, long time. Um, you know, um, uh, my third agency, I think it was, Wolf Strutchick Smith, uh, the, the chief exec there, Amanda Walsh, she was the, the W Walsh, her dad was Davy Walsh, and he was the centre forward on the Irish team that was the first one to beat England on home soil and he scored the goal. Right, well, there you go. It's a, it's a small world. but And you have a great way of, I, I know you say you're not a writer, but then what I look forward to reading your book because I think you, you write you write really well in terms of how, you know, it's entertaining, as you say, but it's insightful as well. So um, so thank you so much for taking the time. Any, any plans yes, to come I, over to Ireland? You were over in Ireland a while ago doing, doing a talk. Any plans to come back or...? Well, if someone asked me, yeah. All right. Well, I might, I might get you over. Um, we might go out in the Irish Times and you know get out with, get you over for something. So, but listen, I really appreciate you taking the time. So, have a good day, and I hope you warm up in chilly London. So, uh, cheers, Dave. Cheers. Thanks. 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 Cheers. I'll send you an email. Cheers. Right. Thanks. Thanks, Dave. See you later. Bye bye. So yeah, way over time again. But uh, and apologies for the for the slow start. But um, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Um. And I, and I really enjoyed it and I'm going to read the book and I'd urge anyone else who's listening to, to check out the book because I've read your other books and they're, and they're great. So, um, yeah. So, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me and thanks to you for listening and thanks to Andrea and Sound and Kira in Marketing and as always, thanks to our wonderful partners in Irish Times Media Solutions. If you liked that episode, why not listen back to our growing back catalogue of evergreen episodes. You'll find them by simply typing Irish Times Inside Marketing into your search engine of choice. So, until next time, read Crossover Creativity and stay safe. The Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions.